Welcome to a new episode of the Ad Astro podcast. Uh, today we are starting a new series. Um, since Elena left us, we will begin again the podcast and continue um, her work and our work. Um, and today, to start in the first episode, we have with us um, uh, Josefina Rodriguez Arribas, welcome. Um, and Dorian Greenbaum, who has already been with us uh, in one discussion in the podcast. So I welcome you both, and today we'll be discussing your the new book that you have edited on um, Jewish divination. Um, so um, Josefina uh, is um, works at the Jew uh, Institute for Jewish Studies at the University of Münster. Um, she has written uh, several works on um, Jewish um, knowledge related to astronomy, astrolabs, astrology, and she has very interesting books and papers which I, I love to, to I have loved to read on uh, the Jewish tradition of astrology. Dorian uh, specializes uh, in um, in the study of Hellenistic astrology, Hellenistic tradition mainly, although she has done other other works in the history of astrology also related to, to Kepler. She has edited several volumes and she's currently working on Help Me Dorian. You are at the University of... Oh. Um, University of Wales, Trinity St. David. Exactly. I always get that one mixed. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> lots of names. Um, so again, welcome. Uh, so today we're going to talk about um, this edited volume, um, which is unveiling the hidden, uh, anticipating the future, divinatory practices among Jews between Qumran and the modern period. So. Um, this is from the collection Prognostication in History, edited by Brill and associated with the RKDF project uh, in Erlangen. Um, and the book uh, covers a lot of subjects exactly on what the title says, so Jewish divination, and I found it very interesting um, because it collects, you know, it has a almost a sample of various types of approaches to divination, mm -hmm. among them astrology and calendrical work. I must say that my main interest goes to the ones that mention astrology, uh, and but I also found it, the others very interesting, uh, dream divination and uh, physiognomy uh, by Joseph Ziegler, uh, whom I know. Um, <clears throat> And I thought the book is very good to give an idea of um, the approach uh, of, of divination from the point of view of Jewish culture and Jewish uh, religion. I especially enjoyed um, uh, your uh, paper, uh, your chapter, Josefina, because it does uh, it does uh, tackle a question that I always um, has always interested me, which is. How the Jewish perceive uh, at least astrology, uh, not only divination in general, but astrology, and what's the 
are they against it? It's how does Jewish religion uh, addresses astrology? Because I've been working a lot with uh, the Christian, which is mm -hmm. more commonly known. You know the, the precepts against it. So it was interesting to read yours, and I'm I'll have to go to a second round and annotate a few things for future reference. <laughs> so again, welcome. And I think the book is uh, it's a very good work. You have collected a very nice. Um, sample of, of uh, academic papers. So I would start to ask you, how did this book came to be? Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, it was initially a, a workshop at the IKGF, International Consortium for Research in the Humanities at the University of Erlangen, Nuremberg. I was a fellow there during 2014-15 and I was there with a project about uh, divination in Jewish culture. I was working specifically with geomancy, <laughs> not mm -hmm. with um, divination in general, but of course, geomancy was considered in the context of other divinatory practices. And while I was there, I observed that um, as the IKGF, uh, the research was, had been working uh, for several years when I arrived, and it continued uh, for several years after after I left, they were dealing with um, divination in many European Western cultures and in China, of course, but uh, um, Jewish culture was not represented in, among the practices or the theory about the divination. And then I decided, okay, we have to celebrate something to bring scholars working in this field because there are several. It's, uh, Mm, it's not an old field, but uh, there have been people, there have been people, there are people uh, who have been working in divination for several years now. And then I thought, okay, let's try to, to do a, a meeting, to make a call and bring people and discuss this. And then um, there were several scholars, we have a two-day meeting, and we discuss, we present, um, and then uh, we decided to publish. I mean, I, I wanted to publish something from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Then that's the origin, and uh, I want to say something about the, the book because usually in, in Jewish studies, um, divination has been always considered in, in the context of magic. Then uh, magic is a very, very popular subject and uh, we can say there have been studies, uh, there are studies in Jewish magic since the 19th century. But uh, there is no book devoted to divination, Jewish divination alone, in, uh, as far as I know, in, uh, in the bibliography available. Then I think this is an important contribution because uh, I think sometimes they overlap, but not always. Then I think divination deserves, uh, um, let, let us say, to a, special a special place yeah, for, for it, <laughs> for itself. Mm. Yeah, um, I found particularly interesting in the introductions where you speak of um, the different ways you can classify the different forms of divination, being more technical, more 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 based on random events, uh, something more natural. And I think that was very interesting. Sometimes it's it's of course obvious if we start thinking about the the, the classification settles obvious, but it's very rarely that we have it uh, you know written and study and analyzed like that. And that, that was very interesting as well. It's a very simple concept, but it's interesting too, so that we can separate 
what kind of approach we have for the donation and um, are we talking about you know something that has more based on chance and others that are based on specific events and the interpretation of specific events um, so that was very 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 interesting yeah um, yeah. yeah, of course, uh, uh, divination is just a name for uh, a whole um, set of practices and uh, um, theories also, because there is always some theory or some expectation behind the practice. Uh, in, in the book, in the introduction, we, we talk about the epistemologies of the divination, they are different. And of course, there is a kind of divination which is more... Um, inspirational you know, and another one which is based in more in techniques and the person the client who is going to ask about this hidden knowledge or this knowledge of the future um, sometimes has to rely more in the in the expertise of the technician or just has to rely on um, the right way or the right uh, performance of the technique of the well yeah, let's call it technique but not so much in the interpretation or the expertise of the person who is performing this uh, this specific technique whatever it is then yes there are uh, different kinds behind the same name. Even the name is very interesting because mm, when I was uh, at the ICAREF in one of these meetings we used to have, which were very um, very useful and very illuminating sometimes because there were people from very different backgrounds and uh, doing very different things and some of them were just doing um, or dealing with divination for the first time. People coming from law or from history but just uh, uh, landing <laughs> In, in the study of divination for the first time and with an approach which, which, uh, which was completely fresh and was also very helpful. Uh, I remember in one of these meetings uh, to have uh, suggested, okay, we are using the, the word divination, but we have to think a little about this because there is some kind of um, meaning behind the word. Because divination, as uh, Dorian, may, may, maybe she can explain better than me, divination is related with Deus, with uh, Dia, with Zeus, there is a, an, an idea behind of light, of the heaven, and the divinity. Then when we are using divination to refer and, some, to, refer and to denotate some kind of uh, techniques, techniques which are dealing only, or, or which are based only on random, on randomness, uh, on random techniques. I just wanted to add that, that the topic of divination, per, you know, just tout court, is um, quite interesting and quite complex, and and its practices um, are very, very ancient, of course. <laughs> so, um, so when you were talking about um, different types of divination, I mean, we could we could look at the Greek perspective, which from which comes this word mantike. Um, which, according to Plato, has to do with um, yeah. mania or frenzy, uh -huh. or uh -huh. you know, or what's called inspired divination. Uh -huh. So that would be like, for instance, the Pythia at the Delphic Oracle being inspired uh -huh. to give the answer to the question um, from something that's coming outside of her. Um, 
uh, of her being and, and it's been sort of being channeled um, through her and mm -hmm. the information is given to the client. So there's this idea of natural or inspired divination. Mm -hmm. that's, that's one part of the equation. And then there's the other kind, which Cicero in his, in his uh, treatise um, on divination, De Divinatio, mm -hmm. um, calls uh, artificial divination, mm -hmm. or divination by art or craft. Mm -hmm. Right, and that's where we get, you know, we get into the technical side. Of course, the Greek word techne means both art and craft. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a certain amount in that kind of divination, there's a certain amount of interpretation that has mm -hmm. to go on, and that's given by a practitioner. Mm -hmm. um, which I think, uh, and I think that the, most of, if not all, of the topics in this book are technical kinds of divination mm. um so you know it's it's such yeah. a, it's such an ancient topic and it's really so nuanced and complex and people often think that oh divination is just about telling the future but it isn't just that it, mm. it in and in antiquity especially in the mediterranean world it, it has to do with knowing the past the present and the future um, and are things that might be hidden in yeah. any one of those kinds of time frames um, and, and finding out hidden information. So it's way more than just, you know, um, predicting the future. Um, mm -hmm. And I think you can see that in a lot of the essays in, in the book, that, it's, mm -hmm. that it isn't just prediction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, I think that's something um, important to, to, to really understand and, and clarify and, and reflect on because uh, it is it is a field with, with various, various nuances, as we were saying, that have to be acknowledged so we really know what we're talking about. Yes. Uh, not, not generalizing uh, as sometimes outside yeah. of the view <laughs> would do. You know. And Jose yeah. also brought up this idea of um, the, the right time and the right action. And that is very, very much a part of divinatory practices, mm -hmm. certainly from the Mesopotamian milieu, you know, up, really up until the, the present. And we certainly see that in astrology and we see it in other disciplines um, too, you know, what is the right moment to do something. <laughs> and, yeah. and that can involve um, divinatory techniques as well. Yeah. <laughs> The, the right time is very precious knowledge. Yeah, yeah, what the Greeks call kairos, you know, and yeah. it, it's it's very very important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, did you find much? Since I don't know if this is a a proper question, uh, but have you found anything that's particular? To the to Jewish approach to divination um, mm -hmm. that you won't find, for example, yeah, that, that was the question behind the whole thing, yeah. the meeting at the KF, <laughs> and also the book. And this this is a question which is work in progress. <laughs> the yeah. answer is work in progress. But uh, certainly, I, I, I think we said in the introduction, mm -hmm. in the essay, in the introduction somewhere, that uh, well, these practices are uh, Jewish, even if they are just looked. 
they look the same that um, the same as other practices that were uh, being done in the same period or after or before or in 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 lands which were around and were you know, were in use live or no. But they are Jewish because they were practiced, they were done by, by Jews and also because they were uh, done in Jewish, in very Jewish context. Of course, uh, they are also Jewish um, because uh, the name of God, is, has a, is, which is very important in Jewish religion, appears in this, is used in these uh, techniques, many of them. Because uh, certain um, biblical characters also appear. Abraham is very important, Daniel, or other prophets appear here and there. It is also uh, Jewish because there are specific prayers, Jewish prayers that are placed, uh, just uh, that are required before performing the divinatory event mm-hmm. or uh, during the, the divinatory event. And also, which uh, the only thing I have found special, and it's not so special because I know there are also this this kind of uh, special status, is also in, in, in Christian sources. I don't remember now in Islam, but in Christian sources it is. It's this question of the special status of Israel as regards divination. It's, it, it, this question emerges a lot of time, a lot of times in the astrological texts. Uh, dealing with the influence of the stars, because there is in, in the Talmud this question the in Mazal Israel, Israel does not have a planet or a star, it depends on how we translate Mazal, which is also an ambiguous word in Hebrew, but we can say planet, star, whatever. There is no astrological influence for Israel. But at the same time, there is a discussion, no, no, there is astrological influence for, it, for Israel. What happens? Why Israel is special? Because Israel has a special relationship with God. They have a special consideration. Um, and uh, then somehow when they are, uh, the explanation, the, the explanation that for, for instance uh, gives uh, Abraham Mahilla in, in his letter, in, 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 which is also in, in one of the chapters in the book. But I think this question also emerges in, in, in the chapter of Alessia Belushi about uh, uh, Sheilat Halon, Dream Request. Is that uh, well? As Israel has this special status because it's the chosen people, when they perform the mitzvot, when they follow, follow the commandments and follow the right path, which is the path of God, somehow they are um, in the safe, in the safe path all the time. There is no, nothing bad can happen in. in and there is not bad influence, only good influence. There is when they refer to this uh, um, uh, um, special situation of Israel vis-à-vis the stars. It concerns mainly in the astrological test when there is discussion about this question. It concerns mainly the bad influence of the stars. There is no discussion about the good influence of it. Mm-hmm. Then it's the bad influence. I mean, if it's something, uh, an, an earthquake or a flood or whatever is going to happen, but Israel can um, be safe if, if they just keep uh, uh, at the sight of God. And mm-hmm. Then this, this is the idea. And this, this idea is very special, in, uh, it's very Jewish. What, what's interesting to me is that uh, it, uh, 
the Jews um, who are living in this Mediterranean milieu where they're exposed to all the different types of divination that are going on. Um, so, so they're taking things like a, a dream request, which is very common in the ancient world. Um, the idea that you, you would go to a temple and have an incubation and lay down and ask for a dream, you know, um, or you'll do certain practices that are astrological in nature. But, but for the Jews, they always transform that into something that is um, inextricably tied to the religion itself. And, and so, as Josefina says, you know, Israel has no star, you know, this, this idea of the, the mazal of Israel. Um, they, they adapt the, say, the polytheistic practice to their monotheistic um, uh, religion and practice. Um, but it's so interesting to see, I mean, just from the standpoint of historical research to see how th things adapt and get transformed to, to suit the particular culture that, that they're in. <laughs> in the first chapter of the book by Michael Schwartz, uh, he says something about that uh, we shouldn't place any emphasis about the differences between cultures and religions as regards to the nation because there are many I mean, sometimes it's just influence, but sometimes they are just uh, taken from the same source and doing it in their own ways, according to their cultures, uh, periods, lands, languages. <laughs> yeah. And I wonder, I'm not sure if, if the study was that extensive, but do you see a difference in time? Uh, what I mean is from um, a more... Um, well, folk uh, religious and practices focus more on on the Jewish culture, and then as the Jewish culture is um, integrated, or at least it, it is working within other cultures, such as Christian culture in Europe, do we see significant changes to these practices? You know, certain practices disappearing or uh, others appearing. Is there any any any? change in time? I know this might be a difficult question, which would perhaps need more research, but um, I was thinking, for example, certain practices within the Christian, in the European Christian context would be difficult to, to, to do because they would be considered um, strange or superstitious, I, I, think, I think, I don't know, um, in, in certain cultures. So do we, not, do we see that happening in some way? Well, uh, what I can tell, I haven't looked at this in detail, having focused on one practice uh, and saying, okay, I'm going to see how it uh, moves. I have been working a lot of time in, in astrology. And of course, there are um, influences of the religion in which uh, the Jews are living. Yeah. Of course, if they are living very close to Christian culture, they are taking. Um, Things, but you know, also because maybe we should think that um, uh, not always, but in at certain moments and in certain places, many places, maybe more than expected, not only al Andalus and this idea of the convivencia, um, in Christian Europe, sometimes 
just um, um, and Christians just boiling the same culture. We boiling many components that was, was just the same culture, the same language, mm-hmm. and the main difference was the religion. Mm-hmm. They were also, you know, dealing with uh, similar problems and with similar solutions. Well, we have to think that there was something, there was a shared space, there was a common place, there was a common language, and the culture was there. I mean, it was also common, mm-hmm. with differences, minor differences, and especially the religion was Certainly, certainly, and 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 I think, uh, yeah, I think we do see that. Uh, that's why my question, you know, we see the adaptation to the culture, and it's a whole. They, they are, as you said, they are living in the same culture. Um, it is the same group. It is the same. They are the same social environment with the exception of the religion and some practices, uh, eating habits, etc. But, um, and uh, pulling up to a, a topic that has to do more with, with the, the project and, and, and the, the podcast um, regarding astrology um, and the astrological practices. You, and you have at least two, two, two chapters that deal with, uh, with this, uh, with the practice of astrology. Um, let me see how can I ask this? How do you, do you, would you characterize if we can characterize the Jewish practice of astrology, um, in relationship to, to, to divination? Could you, could you speak a little bit about that? Um, I don't know if I understand the question. Um, what is the place of astrology in divinatory techniques? Yeah, in, in, well, in Jewish thought. So, in Jewish, uh, in the in Jewish thought, how, how is astrology seen in terms of of, of its practice? Uh, not as they practice, they would practice uh, mostly uh, the technical aspects. I think are basically the same uh, in at least in a general way. But how is astrology seen? Are there differences between when are you going to astrology? What? How is astrology considered? Um, well, yes, of course, it depends on the on the authors and and yeah, <laughs> yeah. You you can find all the, yeah many differences in the authors, also in time mm-hmm. and also in, in according to the, the geographical areas because if you look at the north of Europe, what is called Ashkenaz, mm-hmm. North France and Central Europe, Germany. Um, we find that the kind of astrology that was practiced there, as far as we know, according to the sources, it was mainly kind of astrological, uh, kind of popular practices. Mm-hmm. You don't find, for instance, the kind of astrology you find in, in Alanda, so in, in Christian Europe, where um, the, the Jews. Uh, who are writing about uh, astrology or who are practicing astrology, of course, have this also, let's call um, four forms of astrology, mm-hmm. which are easier, which are uh, more, uh, which are available for everybody, we can say almost for everybody. Mm-hmm. And the kind of astrology that uh, practice, for instance, Abraham Bahia, 
o Abraham Ibn Ezra, o eh, Leyland Garson, o other people, is um, very technical, and of course, uh, it's, it's not for everybody. You need uh, the astronomical background, which is something that not everybody, not everybody uh, uh, has, um, and of course, in addition, the, the practice of all these things, which is uh, it's not only to, as we are talking about astrology, it's not uh, to make the horoscope, which is uh, the astronomical part, let's say, using tables, instruments, whatever, but it's also the part of interpretation that requires a long training, because you have to make sense of all this data there, and uh, well, it's not for everybody. Then, this kind of astrology, it seems that, uh, according to the sources, was not practiced in. in, in in Northern Europe, mm. in the Middle Ages. Who are also scholars? I mean, they, they make questions. I mean, why this works? Why does it? Of course, when one uh, is interested in getting results, uh, just practice. I mean, I, I want to know this and then goes for this uh, kind of easy astrology, which is usual uh, kind of astrology we find, for instance, in, in the north, as they said. But if the person who is practicing astrology is, I mean, is interested not only in the results, not only in getting a yes, no, do this, do that, or it's going to be bad if you do that, or it's going to be bad well if you do this. If you are interested in knowing why, and usually scholars make this kind of questions, they are also working in how astrology fits in, in this um, in this kind of um, idea of the world that is going on and this kind of uh, intellectual koine <laughs> mm -hmm. going on in, in their time. They, they have to fit uh, astrology, in, for instance, in the, in the classification of sciences and to find out what is this, is science, is this myth. Or, mm -hmm. it, I think this is maybe a question which is not only in, well, I am sure it's not only in Jewish authors, it's also in Christians, and it's also in the, in the antiquity, as historian can tell We always find just text dealing with the practice, getting results, getting answers, <laughs> and this is the aspect of um, decision-making, <laughs> These mm -hmm. are tools for taking decisions, to take decisions, but also they are tools of knowledge. And then whatever you know has a place and you have to make sense of it. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. I mean, a couple of thoughts come to mind as, a, as you were talking, Josefina. Um, I mean, the first is that you're talking about different kinds of astrology, you, you know, and the, uh, on the technical side, and you see scholars like Ibn Ezra Barhiya and, um, and, and others who are very interested in technique um, and very skilled uh, at a lot of different techniques. And I, I would guess that they are either focusing on natal astrology or 
what we call mundane or universal astrology, um, which is one you know one set of of things to focus on. But the other the other side is um, what we call elections in astrology. So picking the best time to do something, <laughs> and that is a whole other animal. And, and I mean, in my view, it it has more connection to a divinatory practice maybe than than the other one does or it's more overt maybe um the the other thing that occurred to me is that um this this distinction of astrology as a science you know which which comes in in the arabic period when astrology gets becomes known as the science of the stars Right, and I think that that is something that's very much taken up in in the Jewish milieu. That astrology is a science; it's not a superstition. You know, it's a serious science with serious results and serious techniques. Um, but in terms of the um, well, the kinds of astrology that are that are covered in in our book um, specifically. Um, it has to do with picking the right time, times to do something. Um, that's a, that's a very important part. And also this kind of um, there is in this kind of technical astrology. You know, the kind of astrology that is reflected in Mahia's letter, which is explained, in, in, which is translated in the, in the book, in mm -hmm. one of the chapters. Uh, this astrology is somehow naturally related to science for the author, with limitations, of course, as he himself explains in, in, the, in the letter. But uh, at the same time, this kind of astrology, which is uh, which appears in, in other practices, um, from my point of view, there is uh, I detect some kind of natural relation relation uh, with uh, relationship uh, with religion. Mm -hmm. and, uh, because it somehow is more inspirational and there is this link on one side there is this link with the uh, with uh, religion and from the other is with uh, knowledge with uh, science in the broad sense in, in which it was understood in the in the, in the modern times you not know, with the meaning of science we have now uh, yeah there is this uh, polarity of this ambiguity of, of astrology and of course yeah, it's, uh, we are going to find it in, in the one or the other depending on, on the text we are dealing with mm -hmm. and I'm talking about the text because uh, uh, yeah. most I, of the messages are textual I mean we don't have much material dealing with the nation there is something but there are no meaning mm -hmm. yeah yeah, and in this particular text, which I mean, when when um, when I became involved in this project, which was maybe in was about 2018, maybe Josefina, I think maybe. Uh, yeah. 
something like that. Um, and then, <laughs> yeah, right. You know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, 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 and I, I have to say, I found the whole process of working on this book with you not, I mean, extremely educational from my own personal point of view because I was quite unfamiliar with a lot of the the, the kinds of practices that people talked about in, in the book. I mean, I knew some, and I have a background in the history of astrology and technique in particular in Hellenistic astrology, but, um, you know, it was a real education for me to work on this book, and totally fascinating um, but I was also particularly taken with this letter this letter that Barhidya wrote um, in response to the circumstances of this wedding in which the, the, the beautifully elected time that they had chosen to have the wedding you know everything was wonderful and you know and all of a sudden you have this unforeseen Thing happening where they had to postpone the wedding and then the discussion about and, and Bahia actually choosing another time and the groom saying yep good for me fine and then having these objections to it I mean it just it encapsulates this one it's such an important letter first of all um, but it, it really encapsulates so many of the issues that that we still see in astrology, and we and certainly Bahia is seeing them um, in in this medieval time frame of of of, of the um, the conflict between certain astrological practices and, and the way people look at astrology versus people who see it is completely um, not licit and you can't do that and 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 Bahia's letter which of course is a defense of the legitimacy of astrology mm -hmm. um, brings all those things out uh, and it's just such a wonderful historical example it was so exciting to work on this and and I'm so grateful to you Josefina for for actually bringing it to light <laughs> uh, thank you thank you for your help with everything no it's a very interesting letter it's, it's a difficult text also, it's, it's difficult, that's the reason why I think it, it wasn't translated before, because it's a difficult text, there is a lot of going on in it, and it's very nice to see how one of these scholars is just practicing divination for just a, a quotidian thing, or a wedding. Yeah. It's a mind, we are going to choose the, the wedding, because we want this wedding to be the best, you know, we want to avoid any anything. Any as, as far as possible no? to, to avoid any any bad aspect or any yeah any any, any bad thing can happen in, happen in the future. Then yeah they choose the, the, the hour and it's very nice. How uh, what is difficult in this letter and which is also fascinating and and I think it deserves a further study is the way how Bahia navigates these uh, bans and these prohibitions this in, in the in the Bible and in the Talmud how he navigates all this and uh, is successful some way apparently <laughs> to, to convince uh, at least uh, for some readers he was convinced Langerman thinks that uh, the letter was uh, successful because not many people were uh, that, that there are not many documents after Bahia's letter um, 
explicitly written against astrology, of course we have Maimonides' letter, which is very important, everybody knows about this letter. Yeah. Um, we have also Isaac Polgar, which is uh, less known, but it's also an important document. And of course there are always mm, these kind of discussions and uh, polemics about astrology, but it, not so long as the letter. I think, I think that, y yes, it takes somebody with a certain amount of skill, not just in translating Hebrew, which is obviously is important. Um, but you have a background in understanding the whole technical milieu in which Bahia is writing. I mean, you, because you've done so much work on Jewish astrology in this time frame that, I mean, you're really the perfect person to, to do this because you understand things that somebody else might miss. Yeah, I, I think one has to read the letter with a clear eye for astrology, but also a clear eye and a clear sensibility, not only for astrology, but also for this, uh, this how to say, this uh, complicated, this, um, yeah, this complicated land Barquilla was going through. Yes. He was to be very careful also, because he was, uh, uh, he was sending this letter, it's an open letter, I think in the public of the letter was everybody. Yeah. was interested in this uh, discussion about is it legitimate practices or is not legitimate? Is this Chaldean or is not Chaldean? Right, yes, he has a very sophisticated... He's the letter to Arabic and then he has to use the language of the Alaha, the Jewish yes. law, and then the letter is very Alahic, and then you, you need somehow the... Uh, astrological interest to uh, maybe to to sympathize with, <laughs> with Barquilla's position and understand him, especially is is very moving. I I I felt yes. how moved when he's saying, okay, all my life I have been doing this, and at this point when I, I have deserved with you no know, consideration and respect from the powerful because he was doing astrology for kings. Okay, and now in, at this stage of my life, no, when when I have a certain status, I, I, I have been questioned for all this, and I have been very seriously questioned because of this activity, and still he wants to defend it, but he wants to defend, to defend it uh, using the language of those who are going to be his uh, complicators, his, his opponents, his, mm -hmm. his enemies in a way, mm -hmm. the, the enemies of astrology. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Yeah. No, no, it's, it's very, uh, I, I, I loved the, <laughs> specifically that, that document because I think it's, as I said before, it's quite interesting uh, to have also that testimony, you know, as a defense to astrology because uh, um, with this we can have a more full set, you know, the main, um, the main philosophical ideas that each defender of astrology has, both in Arabic, Christian, and now in Jewish context, which we didn't have that much information. And now with this letter, we have it. And it's important is that it's a long document because we are going to find many testimonies uh, about astrology and also we can say um, philosophical, I mean, dealing with the uh, um, theoretical backgrounds for astrology, even in Abrani and Nesra, uh, there is not a, a text specifically. Of course we have the technical text, but there is no um, there is no theoretical background. He is not saying 
maybe there are here and there hints, hints uh, you can find keys here and there, but maybe the biblical commentaries uh, are a good key to understand how is this, how is integrating uh, astrology in uh, in the Jewish religion, but also in Jewish thought. Because also, but yeah. it's not something long. It's not something. It's not a, a test that from the beginning to the end is dealing with the subject. You have to pick up things here and there and make sense of, of uh, this uh, information, which is uh, just given uh, in different, very different contexts. Yes. But there are, yeah, and also in other texts, Levin uh, Bergerson also has interesting things. There are different authors dealing with um, theoretical background for astrology, explaining why it makes sense, how astrology, and this is the case for Abraham and Esra, I think, and also for Gersonides, but not only there are other authors, but somehow uh, astrology because it's also the science, uh, the divinatory practice that deals with the signs which are the higher, because these are the signs of the heavens, which are above the four elements. Um, that uh, astrology somehow is the way uh, providence, uh, God's providence, is regulated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm, I'm recalling um, an episode that Elena discusses in her MA dissertation, um, um, which is exactly on um, Abraham Gedalia, which is the, the court physician at the coronation of um, of Don Duarte, uh, a Portuguese king, and he. Uh, it's the chronicle. This is all based on chronicles, and the chronicle says. Um, that uh, he uh, advised the king to postpone the date of coronation, explaining that the configuration was not very good at that day. But uh, uh, the king wanted to um, to be crowned in a specific day, which was a, a, a religious festivity. Uh, I think it was the Ascension of Our Lady. I think uh, that was the day, if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly. And so he insisted in, in doing that and he didn't want to accept the advice because that would mean that he would be, would be putting more faith into astrology than in the divine and uh, and I remember that one of the comments that it is placed in in the mouth of the astrologer by the chronicle is that but why is that a problem if God wants it this way so uh, and clearly for the, the Jewish astrologer it would not be a problem to change the date for a more suitable time and, 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 and day because that would be the will of God, you know, that things would be better at that time and, and that resonates, I think, very well with what you were saying and, and I just I was just remembering this, this small episode and it, it really um, illustrates that kind of thinking in which... Uh, of course, the, because they cannot question God, uh, God's rule in <laughs> One cannot then God sits all the way there. I mean, it's, it, this is a, theo a theocratic society, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. religion is, we cannot forget that because we are scholars living in a world which is completely different. But mm -hmm. how God is always in the picture, even if he Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And, and, and this idea of um, uh, it's, it's God. That okay, so you have a certain stellar influence that's visible 
for us to see. Mm-hmm. But God can always step in mm-hmm. and say, wait a minute, no, no, no. Well, if you do the right thing, if you're righteous and just, then we can we can get rid of some of the, the stuff that, that maybe you don't want to happen. And, and it's so clear in this letter, I mean, that the example of... Um, of uh, Hezekiah, right? That mm-hmm. that that he mentions in the letter about getting more years of life than yeah. than you're than you should, you know, you would be other otherwise allotted. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, and this actually, I have no idea whether somebody like Barhia actually knew about more ancient traditions, but um, you could find this in in um, Egyptian culture. Where I mean, and there are papyri and documents that talk about the um, about, for instance, the Prince of Byblos asking for fifty more years of life than what had been allotted to him, and the moon saying, "Well, yeah, okay, you know, you're a good guy, and you're doing the right thing, so all right." You know, this is in a long tradition of of a deity Mm -hmm. being able to change fate so to speak or at least the possibility of negotiating Mm -hmm. fate and and i found that that part of the letter also quite fascinating yeah 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 Yeah, and you later will find in christian uh discourse such similar thing which if you are righteousness and pious and lead a good life then your time will, will be naturally extended because it's more in tune to a good life and a proper life. So, yeah. So, yeah, and and even when Bahia talks about he he has a little bit uh, in there of talking about well you know you if your doctor says well you shouldn't eat that food at your age, you yeah. know e- even in terms of the sort of mundane physical things, you know you know um, you can he he's applying that sort of backwards in an astrological you know context there, and I thought that was also quite interesting so he's looking not only at the spiritual and the moral issues but even physical ones mm-hmm. yes. it's a good example of the relationships also of uh, medicine and astrology exactly. also, uh, sciences or uh, kinds of technique <laughs> yes 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 exactly and yes knowledge based on experience also mm-hmm. yes. yes absolutely and also con- conjectural sometimes <laughs> yep. Most of the times. Yes. 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 Have also a deep relationship with medicine. Usually, the two are appear combined. Uh, we don't have many testimonies, uh, unfortunately, or we haven't still uncovered a lot of them. But they are medical astrological texts. Yeah, and some, yeah. yeah, and some of the essays in in the book do touch on those kinds of topics, like mm-hmm. the, the ones on physiognomy, for instance, and yeah. um, and the bloodletting. Um, yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah, an interpretation of dreams. Yes, yes, and dreams in a medical context as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's another thing. Bloodletting, so I mentioned Barhia, because bloodletting was done according to 
astrology. I mean, there are good moments for this and that was very clear. Salon tradition. Yeah. 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 were also physicians and when, and at the same time they were astrologers then there is uh, this sort of it's so frequent very very yes. and then they were at the same time physicians sometimes they don't mention a word about this and you don't see anything of the work as physicians but uh, you know because of the sources or from other sources that they were physicians then it's, uh, it's also another way of this relation <laughs> Mm-hmm. Other form of this relation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, I think you have uh, a wonderful work here. Um, my, my, my congratulations to you both for editing and, of course, for the authors uh, of each uh, uh, of yeah, the chapters. Before we go, would you like to just say a little bit about some yeah. of the. Uh, I think we should say something because this is not so yeah well uh, we, we have 10 chapters I, yes and mm-hmm. uh, we have uh, Michael Dot uh, who is the, fe- the first chapter I, 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 we decided to put uh, the chapters more or less in a chronological order although mm-hmm. sometimes there is some overlapping because this chapter is, uh, is a very very good introductory chapter And uh, he explains uh, how this is, um, I, I said before, not to place too much emphasis in, in differences among the cultures because divination seems to be a, um, a transcultural or cross-cultural phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he also uh, underlines that we are dealing mainly with the textual sources uh, because there is, uh, we also mentioned in the introduction that there is a material culture of divination We have this uh, last chapter by uh, Charles Vermet dealing with the material aspects of uh, magic, mm-hmm. how to uh, how the, the, the materials and the tools uh, to, to write how, how this has to be done with, uh, in a specific way, which is uh, the term is almost like a ritual if you want, if you want to, to, to make it uh, efficient. To make it work, it has to be done in a certain way and with specific materials. Mm-hmm. But the methods themselves are also very, very interesting and you can see all of the, um, the, the theory behind the practice in that and the idea that I, 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 at first glance I think you look at, at Charles Burnett's chapter as like, why is this here? But, yeah. <laughs> but but if you read it well, we have been agreeing with Mike what is this <laughs> well well yes and no i mean the thing is that it's it's a it's a look at the materiality of uh, of practice you know the, i mean the literal materiality um which i i thought was just a a very nice little wind up to 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 the other chapters of the book which sometimes were much more sort of spiritually located um, mm. uh, or religiously located and, and I just thought this was a wonderful ending you know, to bring us back to earth so to speak um, and to see how earth and sky relate in a very material way. Mm-hmm.
and, mm-hmm. and also Alessia Belushi uh, is using this idea. I think she's uh, using the expression uh, magic to to denote the the kind of practice that uh, she's explaining in, in her chapter, the one dealing with dream request, mm-hmm. uh, which is. Uh, um, the idea that uh, you want to know something and uh, you have to um, make a sort of ritual, make your question and go to sleep and you receive a kind of revelation by mm-hmm. a supernal being or an angel who is going to say the, the answer. Or uh, either you are given a symbol in the dream, you dream with something or about something and then this has to be interpreted. You know, this, kind of combination here that is uh, it's inspirational, there is some kind of revelation, but at the same time it can be a symbol and then you have to interpret, but there were uh, handbooks for these things, which are this kind of handbooks to interpret whatever you see in a dream are, is, the, is the subject of Blanca Villuenda's chapter, who is dealing with uh, just like uh, uh, Alessia Perushi is dealing with um, text from the Cairo Genisa in Hebrew, which is very important because it has a, a repository of fragments that have to be recovered and interpreted and put together to, to be read and translated and understand what is under many, many dealing with magic and divination. Then Blanca Villuendas is dealing with fragments of this kind but uh, dealing with dreams, but in the form of Peter Haramot, which is uh, interpretation of dreams and then there were books. And uh, uh, she explains uh, uh, specifically, as Dorian mentioned, uh, uh, a chapter of one of these uh, handbooks dealing with uh, bloodletting. And she compares with uh, a Hebrew version, which is a stand. And, uh, and this comparison in the Hebrew and Judeo Arabic and explains a little how how this and also uh, underlines the necessity which is uh, I think is something general I think we also mentioned this in the introduction that uh, there is uh, a huge amount of text to be discovered and to be mm-hmm. I mean they are there I mean they have already been discovered <laughs> but they have to be rediscovered through investigation through research through edition translation this this kind of things. Yes, and the work that Alessia and Blanca are doing is just so important in this regard for really doing a deep dive into, into a, you know, one example of, of these kinds of practices. It's really wonderful. Yeah, and these two chapters by Alessia and Belushi and Blanca Villuendas, they are very philological. I mean, they edit texts in Hebrew, in Judeo-Arabic, they make yeah. comparisons with other parallel sources or similar sources. And they also paid a lot of attention to the style, to the language. And we have also the second chapter by Helen Jacobus, which is a very interesting one. It's, the, it's dealing with the fragments from Cumbra and, uh, and it's uh, from the Second Temple period and dealing with this kind of literature in Aramaic. Most uh, practically all all uh, the fragments uh, she's uh, dealing with are uh, have been published, but she is uh, reconsidering them again and, uh, and presenting a new hypothesis, a new view over these uh, materials, 
well, the, these fragments, uh, she uh, reads them in the light of this idea that they are uh, Soviet calendars, which use the position of the sun and the moon in the zodiac mm -hmm. and in different cycles. Her, her work is really complex. I mean, I, my hat is off to her. <laughs> she, she, she can find the, the sort of connecting thread in all of these little fragments and to, to come up with this, uh, you know, this whole um, interpretation of something that somebody else might take a look at and say, oh no, not going there, not touching that. Um, so, you know, she's really done such a massive amount of work and and, uh, yeah, yes, um, and her diagrams in this chapter, are, you know, are really, really helpful. <laughs> of course, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and she coins this expression, which is the distinctive of the Zodiac calendars. Is that, uh, yeah. Yeah. We also use in divination. But, uh, right. Precisely. Yeah. And then we have also um, chapter about bibliomancy. Um, Shravabar uh, on because his dissertation about the Sefer Goralot. Goralot is the is the the word Hebrew for this uh, lots lottery books or what well, uh, lottery books for bibliomancy, but it's um, a term which is. Uh, has several meanings, all of them um, uh, referring to um, sorts, sorts. Mm -hmm. Then, uh, uh, this, uh, this chapter is, is very interesting because it's, uh, in, it starts just with an example in in, in, uh, in Israel, uh, just in the 20th century, using bibliomancy to find the bodies of uh, uh, soldiers in, in were uh, lost and it was impossible to find them, to bury them, to, to bury them properly. Um, then using bibliomancy they are able to, um, to, to, to find them and then moves uh, back uh, to the origins uh, of bibliomancy and uh, explains that the use of course is always of the Bible but it's not clear whether uh, there was uh, a change and maybe because this mm -hmm. is not clear, yeah, maybe you should start to use other books uh, for bibliomancy also. Yeah, I love that modern example that he began his his piece with. I mean, it would just grabbed your attention. Yeah, just in the middle of the thing of the of the, <laughs> of the subject. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it, it it's in radio space. You know, it's like. You are here. <laughs> um, it was just such a wonderful example, and and you know I didn't. I guess I wasn't really aware that this is really this is still used. And uh, well, uh, there is also a discussion about Maimonides. We have a chapter about Maimonides by Doc Schwartz. Then he says that uh, there is an, uh, Maimonides has a double understanding of uh, magic. There is a professional magic and a popular magic, and there is also idolatry one which is true idolatry and other that is not idolatry only looks like idolatry and what's the difference between this uh, magic uh, and idolatry these two levels the difference in both cases is the presence of the stellar sciences yeah well and maybe i don't know dorian do you want to say something about joseph siglen and physiognomy because there is also this long tradition in the classic world 
Um, well, yeah, uh, yes, physiognomy is extremely important, um, even, you know, certainly in, um, in the Greco-Roman period, you know, and if, if anybody's interested in that, um, particularly, they could take a look at, at Tamsin Barton's book on, on physiognomy, whose name I cannot recall at the moment, um, sitting on my shelf, but, um, uh, I mean, Popovich, I don't know if the, 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 the name is pronounced, pronounced this well, but anyway, Popovich has a wonderful book about the physiognomy. But what is uh, very di distinctive about this chapter is that uh, Sigler is, uh, is um, defending that uh, physiognomy is not really a divinatory practice. Right. Well, sometimes it's related to divination, but it's mainly a, a little in. in is of course using medicine also, he mentions that, but for him, is in Judaism more a kind of spiritual technique. And in this way, it was used in Qumran and also in, yeah. in Merkava, and Ehalot literature, which is the yes. literature of yes. the Jewish literature. And also in, so, in the Suhar. Uh, to gain a knowledge uh, using physiognomy about the, uh, the spiritual character of the person. I mean, is this uh, is going to be a good disciple, is going to be a good Kabbalist, uh, is going to, to get some insights of uh, the nature of the person, but with, um, with a spiritual intention. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not good. Yeah. Which is very important to be aware of, yeah. Mm. Yeah, and I think we have, uh, yeah, said uh, all of them. Have I forgotten someone? I yes, I think so. I mean, each one in its in its turn is bringing up a really interesting viewpoint and a really interesting topic, and. Um, uh, well, you might think at first glance that they just have no relationship to, to one another. Um, as and Josefina has really done a wonderful job in the introduction of mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. connecting the threads mm -hmm. amongst all of the different essays yeah. um, in a really important way that I think um, allows you to, to draw together all the topics of the book into this nice little cluster. And the thing is that, that with a book like this, which has um, only 10, 10 studies really, but it, it just opens the door to so many other mm -hmm. investigations. Yeah. So it really, it, it, it's not only complete in itself, but it opens up doors to, uh, to people taking up further mm -hmm. interesting topics, like as you say, the Ashkenaz um, uh, component of the of this whole thing with what already it's done and of course it opens no doors but i think it gives a good guide absolutely someone who wants to enter in this in this topic uh, so it has a multiplicity of, of perspectives and topics that give you an idea of the universe which you are dealing with and um, the importance of its subject how it's integrated um, so I, in that regard i think all kind of scholars i mean we have very well established scholars and we have uh, people who are uh, um, starting, they finish uh, recently their PhDs and they are studying and they are wonderful scholars. Then, uh, 
but we have scholars in all the stages somehow. Yeah, <laughs> it's great. Yeah, it was really, and it was really such a delight to work with all of them, you know, because they all have their different perspectives, but everybody has something really important to contribute. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, it was a very nice experience to them. Yeah, work with the authors and and to work with Dorian <laughs> and to work with Josefina, and I'm so happy you asked me. <laughs> Yeah, well, it uh, it worked very. I think the the result, the end result, was very uh, very good, well accomplished. Uh, so congratulations to the authors and the editors of the volume because I think it's it's a wonderful contribution, and I I believe it to be extremely valuable not only to the history of astrology with the specific contributions on astrology, but also uh, on other forms of divination and on the whole topic uh, of divination in, in in the Jewish context. So congratulations and. <laughs> And we'll be looking forward for new works and new research on these topics and others that you will be working on. So it was a pleasure to have you here to, to discuss the book and um, I hope to, to see you soon in, uh, in other podcasts so we could continue these and other uh, discussions. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Luis. Thank you, Dorian.